Um, the American Botanical Council and Sustainable Herbs Program, we're thrilled to announce, to launch this new webinar series. And especially I'm thrilled to begin with this first one with Dr. Tiarone Lodog. Um, as many of you likely know, Dr. Lodog is a physician, author, educator, and thought leader in integrative medicine. She's also an herbalist and a midwife. And I first heard Dr. Lodog speak 20 years ago at Sage Mountain. And then, and every time I've heard her speak, I'm impressed with your knowledge and respect of science and your knowledge and respect of the plants. Um, and so I'm thrilled to have you join me now. And, and especially why I thought of this conversation is, to me, herbal medicine from the beginning was about, was empowering. It was sort of about what I could do to take care of myself and my family. And so much about COVID is disempowering and there's so much fear and uncertainty and misinformation. And so I'm really excited to just have a conversation with you about simple things all of us can do, but I'm really thinking of young adults who it's especially a really scary, uncertain time. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you too, Anne. I mean, I've been following you for a long time too. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of yours. <laughs> I'm a fan of yours. So. so I wanted to start just, are there any general comments you want to make about COVID to begin or I can ask? This well, you know, so uh, the first thing I would say is that um, it's been a very personal experience for our family. Um, my daughter Kiara um, got the coronavirus. Um, she was hospitalized three times in acute respiratory failure. She was on, she required oxygen, three to four liters of oxygen daily um, because she could not, she couldn't breathe without oxygen. She was on high doses of steroids and um, I mean, and then she began to have heart involvement. She began to um, have a lot of atrial fibrillation and a very abnormal EKG. So, she, you know, we were taking her in to see the cardiologist and everything else. So it was very real and very personal for a healthy young female, um, you know, who's healthy and fit. Uh, we used a lot of herbs on her also when she was kind of over her acute, like the real acuteness and in the hospital. Um, we got a lot of osteopathic manipulation for her. Um, I'm a huge fan of elecampane and licorice, which I think for her were extremely important for her, for her lungs. Uh, and then mixtures of other things, obviously, were you, we were using. Um, during that time, we were caring for my, my parents, who were quite senior, and, and they were supposed to actually go into an assisted living. And we made the decision not to put them in an assisted living because of everything that was happening in, in, in nursing home facilities. Um, but it also meant it was very difficult because we were having to help care for them. My father became ill. Hospice was not able to really come and help us. So um, I, I was the one who helped my father transition. Uh, he died on April 15th during this. My mother had dementia. Uh, and the family was like, we need to put her in a nursing facility because she needs 24 seven care. And I'm like, we can't, we can't put her in there. We won't be able to see her. We can't go take care of her. So that was a very challenging time for us. And then my mother passed on June 23rd. And in the middle of all of that, my brother was admitted to the hospital for a recurrence of his prostate cancer, but he went into kidney failure and they would not let us go see him in the hospital. And so I'm FaceTiming him, I'm looking at all his labs 
it was a really horrible experience because because even when I felt like it was time for him to go to hospice, um, they wouldn't let me go in to talk to him. Um, when we were able to get him out, he was in Phoenix, which is not where he lives. Uh, I rented a B Airbnb. We scrambled to get him out so that we could care for him in a home with his family who had not seen him for 61 days since he'd been in the hospital. And we were able to help him die with his family. So I really understand the impact of this, uh, of this virus on so many levels. Um, but I would also say that while things can feel disempowering, people cannot take your power. Nobody can take your power. You can surrender your power, you can give your power, you can share your power, you can do all kinds of things with your power, but it's your power. And I think that, you know, I'm an older woman, so perhaps it feels easier to say that than when I was maybe 25. But I would tell, and I have told my 25-year-old daughter, my 26-year-old daughter, it's like, never give up your power. That is yours. And people can take all kinds of things, but they can never take your power. And, and I would say that in times of uncertainty like this, it's really important to remember that. It's, it's really important to remember that that's unshakable and it's yours. It was your birthright. It was given to you before you ever entered this world and it stays with you throughout this entire journey. So that, that would be what I would say. And now I'll stop talking. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that and just for all you've gone through. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It was a sacred, it was a very sacred process and it was very hard. It was very hard and it was very sacred. And I felt, you know, I felt that I was called and that I was so grateful to be there, but it doesn't take away the sadness or, you know, somebody asked me the other day, are you feeling depressed? And I'm like, no, I feel sad. You know, it's like, there's a difference. It's, it's okay to feel sad. A lot of stuff happened and I miss my family. My family of origin is gone. All the people who knew me as a child are no longer here. And, and, um, and, I, and I'm okay, I'm, I'm okay, and I'm sad. <laughs> so, but, but again, I think that, you know, those are again things like people are like, are you depressed? Because people aren't comfortable with sadness either. Um, so uncertainty has always been with us. Um, that learning to get comfortable with uncertainty, I think a lot of times meditation and other things can be really helpful, and because um, it teaches us and helps us to be more in the present instead of worrying about the future or, or holding baggage from the past, it, it helps us learn to be here now. And I think that um, that's a really important message during this time too. Yeah. yeah. So holding all of that and then going down to, um, are there sort of some, some recommendations on a physical level of what what we all can be doing, but especially thinking again of this generation, you know, that are a way of empowering, you know, things to do to, if, to stay healthy, if you don't have COVID, you know. Whatever. Yeah, well, uh, whether you do or you don't, I mean, I think that the, the center still holds. The, the, the rules of the universe did not change because of COVID, even if we're doing more hand washing and distancing, the things, the core of health 
didn't change means you still want to eat clean. You want clean foods. You want, you want plant foods. You want lots of plants because it's not just about the carbohydrates and the fats and the proteins. It's all of these amazing secondary metabolites that are in plants, these phytochemicals that nurture the plant and nurture us. We co-evolved with these plants and they provide protection on the most deep and subtle levels. And so you need a lot of them in your life and you need to include a lot of them in your food. Um, you need to, you need to, uh, some of this stuff will be more controversial than others, but you know, I, I believe that with food comes gratitude because unless you're growing all of that food yourself, somebody else spent a lot of time working to make sure you had food to eat. So have some gratitude because I think that it energetically changes the food when you're grateful and you actually sit and you're really, I give thanks for this food. It's easier to give thanks for like your beautiful meal versus like in the drive-through of McDonald's. Not saying don't ever go, but what I'm saying is it's hard to feel the same sort of connection and gratitude. So be thoughtful around your food and a lot of plants and keep an eye on that sugar and that highly processed stuff. I would say that vitamin D is really, really important. And it always has been interesting to me that the flu season and cold seasons really happen in the hemispheres during the seasons where we get the least sunlight. Some of the data, the analysis that we're stripping out of COVID right now is showing that people who had the lowest vitamin D levels, you know, lower than, you know, 20, and particularly lower than 12, we're almost 19 times more likely to have a serious outcome or die. Um, so vitamin D, a lot of people think of it for bones and, and, and things like that, but, but it, it actually active vitamin D releases these antimicrobial proteins, especially in the lungs like catholicidin and defensin, which help your lungs fight off infection. So vitamin D is really important. I think I'm still like in a, I'm still in a state of quandary, like as a clinician, why are we not checking the vitamin D levels of older people who are at risk for, for dying from this? Because we know that disproportionately they have low vitamin D. Um, I just got mine checked. I take vitamin D. I live in the Southwest. It's 25. I'm, you know, I need to be up to 35. So it's like, I'm still low and I take 3000 a day. So yeah, testing is useful. Um, I would say that, um, you know, all of the herbs that you normally would have to help you manage stress, to help you sleep better, you know, these are your allies. I have lots of, like, I love traditional medicinal teas. I have, I have a little wine of them in there. So I go in the afternoon for, you know, a cup of calm. I, I drink some nice tea at night. Um, I use a lot of medicinal herbs as just part of my daily life. And, and I, I would encourage people to bring more of those in your life and do it in a way, you know, I made a big pot of golden milk the other night with, you know, turmeric and ginger, fresh turmeric, fresh ginger, cardamom, you know, I put a little maple syrup in there, a little cayenne pepper and I, and we drank it, you know, with, with, uh, with almond milk. And it was like, it feels less like, a supplement and it feels more like part of my life when I do that. So I would encourage people to also find ways to bring the herbs into your life um, that can keep you healthy, but make them part of your diet, make them part of your lifestyle, make sure your kids are comfortable with them, that they're used to drinking herbal teas, uh, not sodas, uh, things like that. So, I mean, those are some of the basics, the, the multivitamin, the vitamin C, the vitamin D, your herbs that you have, healthy plant-based diet,
And, and what I said about managing your stress and finding ways to sleep is really, really important. So whatever that looks like for you, you know, self-care is um, self-defense, right? I mean, when you take care of yourself, it's, it's the way you help your body to be able to defend itself. And so, you know, make sure that you're, while you're taking care of everybody else and, and, and managing that you're, you're taking good care of you so that your body has what it needs to fight if it should get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, are there one or two other herbs that you think are good to, for those who aren't really familiar with using herbal medicine that are easy and good to incorporate in a daily way? Sure. Well, I actually think, um, I think that a lot of people benefit from um, uh, chamomile. I, I love chamomile. It's safe for the oldest and for the very youngest. I even make chamomoglycerides that I use for our animals when they're highly stressed. Um, I'm a huge fan of lemon balm. I grow a lot of lemon balm, so I, I drink a lot of fresh lemon balm. Um, I like skullcap. I'm kind of a skullcap girl, uh, American or blue skullcap, the latter of flora. Um, you might, if you're new to herbs, you might read that skullcap is dangerous for the liver or things like that. That's actually not true. That was, um, there, there was in the past some episodes of skullcap being adulterated with a different plant, germander. And, and now companies are very careful about making sure that the analytical methods that have been developed ensure that they're getting skullcap, the, the true herb. But skullcap is an herb that um, relaxes and strengthens the nerves. And, um, and, and when you're feeling that kind of like, I'm just vibrating, I'm just vibrating, I am, I'm just so stressed. I'm on my last nerve, as my grandmother would say. That's kind of a skullcap sort of person. And, and um, it's a little bit bitter. I drink mine fresh because I have it in the garden. If you don't grow it, you're probably going to take it in another form. Um, but it can be a little bit bitter to take. Um, but, but it's, boy, don't ever underestimate it. I love it. I also think that in these times, a lot of young adults who are busy managing school or busy managing school and work or managing children or caring for children or you know because we can't manage them they're not manageable but um but 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 if we're if we're trying to do all of those things and we find our stress is high and we're not sleeping very well i really love ashwagandha i do it's a plant that grows from india all the way down into africa uh has a big range and people used it um for sort of strengthening themselves uh, and, and, and enhancing their resiliency. And we had three studies come out in 2019 that showed that it definitely helps with sleep and it helps people stay asleep, fall asleep and stay asleep. Remember, it's an adaptogen, so it helps our bodies adapt to stress, but it doesn't make you fall asleep like a sleeping pill. Once you've taken it for a few weeks, you'll find that you're feeling more relaxed in the day, it's easier for you to surrender to sleep at night and it's easier for you to stay asleep. So I, I also really like ashwagandha. I also make um, ashwagandha, you know, I, th- I throw the powder in smoothies and I use ashwagandha in a lot of ways, but I really like that herb too. Yeah. I'm talking more for stress and that clearly I think there are herbs for immunity, but, but if you're talking about just sort of 
a lot of the things that weaken our immune system are non-restorative sleep, constant stress, things like that. And so some of these herbs can be good on a daily basis because they'll strengthen your immune system indirectly by managing your cortisol and your stress hormones. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, I want to turn to COVID for a sec, but before then, can you say something about how to find and quality and what to look for, that all herbs are not equal? Yeah. Well, there's so many good companies. I, I looked briefly at your sponsors and I would say anybody that was a sponsor on there were good. <laughs> um, you know, I, we know so many of these companies, so many of these companies are run by my friends. I mean, people I've known a long time and that have excellent quality control. So um, things that, you know, large companies, um, you know, the, for herbs, things ranging from Gaia to Herb Farm, you know, to Eclectic Institute or Nature's Way or Solarite, these are all companies that have really great um, quality control in place. And don't forget the teas. I mean, I use teas as stocking stuffers uh, at our house, and I have for years. Um, for everybody in the family. And so I love yogi teas. I love, I, I love uh, traditional medicinals teas. And, and the benefit of something like a traditional medicinals also is simply that it's got a lot of herb in a tea bag. So, you know, 1500 milligrams of an herb is like three capsules. I mean, so it's, it, it, I think people underestimate. And something for some folks to remember is that they worked hard to get traditional medicinals into grocery stores and, 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 and other places. You can find it in lots of places and you can use your SNAP program to buy those teas. So, you know, you, I work with a lot of low income individuals who have, are on the SNAP or what was used to call the food stamp program. And you can actually buy your mother's milk or your organic ginger tea and you can get that purchased on your SNAP. And so just as a little reminder, some of the supplements, we can't use it in that way, but those teas are covered. And, um, and I just find, you know, drinking those teas three, four cups a day, mix them up, um, I think is really, really good for your health. And it keeps you away from sodas and juices and all these other things. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so now um, I'd love to hear it. So if, if um, you know, my daughter also got COVID and she was in California and, and trying to, even everything I know about herbalism, it was absolutely overwhelming to try and sift through how to support her. Um, and so if, I wondered if you could talk about that, um, how to, if, if you're negative or you get the symptoms, what to do. Yeah, so, um, again, all things, all things hold true. Um, everything that your body needs to function right. So we talked about food, make sure you're getting plenty of water, that you're staying very hydrated. Um, and, and then you want to think about how am I going to support my body's ability to fight this? Not how do I suppress my symptoms? That's a lot of what people think. They get a little temperature, I mean, low grade temperature, 100.5, 101. And they're like, how do I squelch my fever? No, 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 no. Your fever actually, I'm not talking about very old or two month babies. I, I'm, I'm talking about an average young adult person. Um, your body is designed to mount a fever so that you can rev up your immune system and you can fight the infection. So I don't really like suppressing a fever 
unless it's at nighttime to sort of help sleep, right? To kind of help with some of the other symptoms. But how do you help support your body in that process? If you're having, um, if you're having a lot of lung stuff, um, what about time? What about using time? Time is a wonderful, it thins the mucus. Uh, it makes things easier to get out. Um, it also, if, you've, if you're just coughing and can't stop, time with honey will help with that cough. If you've got a sore throat, I mean, things like sage. Sage gargle is, is such an effective remedy for sore throat, and it's also such an antimicrobial. I love to use sage tincture. You know, just, just take, you know, five mils, uh, you know, a teaspoon of, of sage tincture, and then put that in, you know, like a quarter cup of water, and then just gargle with it. I like the tincture a little more than the tea, only because you get a bit more of those volatiles out that really help kill things that may be in the back. Um, I love, I love a lot of the, um, I love herbs like uh, echinacea and elderberry, kind of, I grew up on echinacea. So regardless of what science says about echinacea, I feel for early symptoms, early, early symptoms, I think elderberries and echinacea are, are very safe and they're very effective antivirals. I think there was a lot of controversy over both of these herbs with cytokine storm, which, uh, which is in, in a severe flu or COVID, the body can actually create this overwhelming inflammatory response, this overwhelming immune response and it sort of floods the lungs with inflammation and it can be really dangerous so people were saying oh don't take elderberry don't take echinacea well that's kind of an advanced part of the disease that can happen i'm talking about using these early when you're just starting to feel like you're coming down with the symptoms if you if you are if you're already getting sicker I mean, you should go seek medical care, right? To, to make sure that you're going to manage things appropriately. But other things you could think about that, that we thought about and that we used when she was in and out of the hospital, right? Um, I love elecampane. I just think elecampane is so underused and so undervalued for its high specificity for the lung. It's extremely, we grow it in our garden. They grow, mine are like six feet tall. They look like big, happy sunflowers, right? I mean, they're just gorgeous. And we take them after the, the second year, we gather the roots in the fall. And then I take my crowns and I just replant them. So I have them coming up again. And every couple of years I harvest my elecampane. It has never failed me. It really hasn't for really more severe kind of respiratory type of infection. And I like to mix it with licorice and honey. So, um, you know, people who are new to herbs may also hear that licorice can cause your blood pressure to go up and, and um, that it can be unsafe. It's very, very safe for most people, even at bigger doses for seven to 10 days, right? You have to be careful if you already have high blood pressure um, to, to be very careful with licorice. But for most people taking it for seven to 10 days, even up to 3000 milligrams per day is quite safe. It's just, you can't take those doses for a long period. But licorice, licorice soothes the inflammation and it calms the inflammation working almost, it keeps your own body's um, 
natural anti-inflammatories, your own body's steroids around longer and allowing your body to actually fight the inflammation more efficiently. It's very moistening and very, very cooling to the tissue. So I really like these herbs for a bit more, um, uh, it, echinacea elderberry, and then if you're continuing to get sick, you move away from those. And then it's more things like elecampane, licorice, Zinc, of course, high doses of vitamin C. Um, I will tell you the truth, Anne. We took my brother out of that hospital. And when we got him into his room, he did not have COVID, but he had been in the hospital. As I'm washing him and changing him so his family could come in, he had, he had bruises everywhere, but he had small petechial little hemorrhages at the bottom of his hair follicles, which is scurvy. He had scurvy. And we know when people get sick, their vitamin C plummets. It just plummets. And both parts of your immune system need a lot of vitamin C. So, you know, we had Kiara on large doses. And if we could have gotten IV vitamin C for her in the hospital, I would have insisted upon it, but they didn't do it. So, um, but you know, how much? Well, I like, I like if you're really trying to get these amounts up, I like to use the liposomal vitamin C. It, they've just shown that the liposomal vitamin C allows you to get higher levels. It's more, you don't, you can absorb more and use it. And, and we're talking like a thousand milligrams every couple of hours, um, you know, to bowel tolerance, obviously. But Kiara, never even had a moment of diarrhea and she was at like 15,000 a day. But only when we got her doses higher of vitamin C did we begin to see some real change in her lung function. So um, just don't forget vitamin C is really, really important when you're sick because when you're sick, you're just chewing through that vitamin C. And we have only, statistic, only 30 million Americans actually have optimal vitamin C levels. More than 60 million of us are either deficient or have marginal levels. Meaning if you got sick, you'd have no way to really mount an immune response. So uh, don't forget the vitamin C as well. Um, so time, I was having my daughter do time steams. Is that yes. good? Good. I mean, I was thinking of, and, and things that you can get in the produce section, you know, that are, so thyme you mentioned, and then sage. Um, all those. Anacurb, so yeah. All those so good. And now don't forget your vitamin D. We talked about that earlier, right? So the vitamin D, um, I had her on zinc lozenges. Um, you don't need to take them as a lozenge, um, but you may get more benefit also just in the, you know, back of the throat. Um, but zinc also, you know, about 15% of us have very low zinc. And we know that older people, 65 and older, well, 50 and older, actually, the studies show 50 and older, when you give them zinc supplementation and actually measure parameters of their immune system, their immune system improves. There was a study done in a nursing home with about 420 seniors in a nursing home. So look how many people died this year in nursing homes. They used zinc supplements and they found it dramatically reduced the incidence of pneumonia, the use of antibiotics and other respiratory infection. So, you know, I, I think the center still holds vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D, and then our herbs that we turn to. Um, 
to keep us healthy and then also to help us support us um, in those early phases. Ginger can also be very good in those very early stages. Um, kind of helps uh, not only with the respiratory uh, incidents, but it can help with cough. It thins the mucus. It's got a lot of antiviral activity. It's got a lot of antiviral activity. So, um, and that's something you can get at the grocery store. I mean, the dry powder in your cabinet that you've had for six years because you really don't know what to do with ginger powder is probably not that good. Um, but you can get fresh ginger anywhere. And fresh ginger with lemon and honey in a very early, in the very early stages can also be very good and very warming. Yeah. And how about garlic? I love garlic. <laughs> I forget about garlic, honestly, Anne, because we eat so much of it. We grow garlic and we grow scallions. I mean, so we, we love the allium vegetables. But if my daughter was here, she would testify. She would say, well, yes, my mother cooks with about, like when there's two or three people in the house, she uses maybe six to eight cloves of garlic every day. I mean, and I'm very careful how I make my garlic. I take it and fresh and I, I crush it and I put it in just a little bit of oil, olive, avocado, whatever I'm going to cook with. And I put it in the oil and I let it sit for about 10 minutes while I'm doing everything else that I need to do to prep for the meal. And then once it's sat for 10 minutes, all of the enzyme actions that it has to do are already done. So you can cook it to high heat without destroying all the good parts of it. So a little trick with your garlic, um, use your fresh garlic and use lots of it. Garlic has been shown to reduce the number of infections people get. And people used to call it, when I was young, people used to call it Russian, Russian penicillin. I'm not sure exactly where that expression came from, but it seems like you've heard it too, Anne. It's like Russian penicillin. It was like, because garlic has always been known to be a strong anti-infective. And so just adding it to the diet. I mean, I would remind you, we were caring for Kiara with COVID. We were not socially distancing. I did not have a mask on. I was in there just taking care of her. Um, we never, you know, we never, we never got sick, but we, boy, did we load up on, on things like garlic and vitamin C. And I was taking, um, I took uh, 50,000 of vitamin D once a week, uh, 50,000 I used once a week for, for the 10 weeks while all that was happening. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is great. And also, so then the emotional part of, especially for my daughter, it was being quarantined and the f uncertainty when symptoms sort of kept lingering and feeling trapped and the emotional part of that, do you, and isolated and alone and inside in an apartment in California. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Well, you know, we're social animals. Um, you know, we're social animals. We, we belong, you know, traditionally in tribes and, and in community. And so we're hardwired for intimacy and we're hardwired for social interaction. I mean, I, I, and I, when I say hardwired, I mean that because imagine if you were on your own 4,000 years ago and your community kicked you out. I mean, what was, what was like in biblical times, it was banishment. I mean, they banished you. And I mean, I sometimes think, because I live deep in a forest, and, and my husband and I live alone. We're very isolated from everybody else, but by choice. But I often think, what would it be like if I had been banished and I'm just out here in this forest all alone, trying to find a way to make fire, try to hunt, 
if I have children, care for my children, I mean, how would I have survived? So this pressure, there's a lot of pressure, biological pressure over thousands of years that have made us crave and need intimacy and social interaction. So, you know, in all the ways that you can do it, um, in all the ways that you can manage, you know, to reach out to friends, to talk, to read, to meditate, to pray, whatever it is that you do, you know, I think it's harder when you're young, that social isolation, and it can be very hard for the very elder too. You know, and I think different personalities manage it better. For myself, I'm kind of a lone wolf. I, I like being alone. I, I like my solitude. I, I love when I'm at the ranch just by myself, like if Jim's up building or repairing something for one of the kids' houses, and I'm just there at the ranch by myself for a few weeks. I crave that time. But it can be very uncomfortable. And I think that you'd be wise to try to use some of that uncomfortableness uh, in balance, in balance, but to use some of that time to journal, to write about what it feels like to be alone with your own thoughts, to be separate from others, to write about that and explore where those feelings come from. Um, I, I think that, you know, Joseph Campbell said, I love Joseph Campbell, but he said, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasures that you seek. And if you meditate on that for a little bit, you begin to think about what is the cave I fear to enter? And a lot of times it's, it's our own mind. It's our own heart, our own soul to be alone and intimate with it, just raw and real. And sometimes in opportunities like this, this challenging time can be a time of opportunity that allows us to move deeper and to move through. There's no way to go around most of these painful things. The only way is through it. So, you know, and, and, and I don't want anybody who's listening, you know, depression can be a natural response to this kind of phenomenon. And we certainly don't want people who are depressed and maybe thinking of taking their lives and things like this to not get the help they need. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in this culture, we don't talk to people about hard times and that we're going to go through hard times and you're going to, you're going to fall in and out of love and you're going to lose people that you love and you're going to leave people that you once loved and it, all of these things, you're going to lose your job. You're going to not like your job. I just, the world has a lot of struggles and hard times and we don't help people understand how they can tap into their power to move through that. And, um, and, and, I, and I think that we're seeing that result right now. Um, you know, it's like people looking to everybody else outside of themselves. Um, instead of, you started today, Anne, with talking about how the plants have helped people like empower themselves to take care of their health. You started out with words of empowerment. And I think that um, the plants teach us about empowerment, but we also teach each other about empowerment. And, um, and so if you're feeling that isolation, you know, reach out, reach out, talk to other people. 
um, get help if you need help, and also use this time to sort of say, I feel sad because I'm disconnected. And you're never not connected. That's the biggest illusion of all. You know, somebody said to me the other day, she said, I feel so disillusioned. And I'm like, well, hallelujah. And she's like, well, what does that mean, Dr. Lodog? And I'm like, well, isn't it great to be without illusion? Because to become disillusioned means you no longer are seeing an illusion. You're, you're actually seeing what's real. And I said, that can be hard, but it's the first step actually towards better health and perhaps even enlightenment is to actually see things the way they are and not just the way we would wish them to be. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's interesting what you were saying. I feel such power when I reconnect with the plants. And then as a mother, when my daughter is sick, I lose everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're sick. Yeah. You're a mama. You're a mama bear. Yeah. Yeah. You're a mama um, bear. Can you talk some? So, coming out of the time of sort of acute sickness and then, you know, this lingers and there are conditions and how to support and not just jump back to business yeah. as usual. Well, I think you want to remember that your body has just fought a big fight, right? So if, um, imagine, um, imagine somebody who's just run a huge marathon that maybe wasn't even well-trained for the marathon, but took this huge marathon and everything that happens after the marathon, right? So you have to nourish everything back because you've just expended all of this energy. And, and, and it's, I, I don't like militaristic analogies, but it would also be like a soldier that was in a big, big, long battle. And when they come back from it, there may be a little PTSD from being sick uh, or from the battle. There is going to be weakness in whatever system was affected. So how do you strengthen that? Um, so was it the heart? I mean, do you need things like Hawthorne and Mimosa or Motherwort? Uh, Kiara with her atrial fibrillation and her palpitations, we used a lot of Motherwort on her. Uh, the Motherwort and magnesium, uh, both, we gave her both. Uh, but the Motherwort, she said she could literally just feel it like calming her heart down. So um, some people with COVID, there's been a lot of cardiac involvement. So um, there, after your over your acute part, and if there was heart involvement, then you nourish the heart. Hawthorns and motherworts, right? Mimosa bark, things like this. Um, and then for the lungs, I would say, uh, if you've still got the gunky lingering, you could continue with elecampane. I live in the Southwest, so OSHA is kind of our herb of choice down here for that post-viral, just gunk that does, it's like two, three weeks later and you still kind of got this stuff, right? You're not sick anymore, but your lungs aren't back. That's how we use OSHA down here. A highly aromatic plant, just amazing. Not much research on it because, you know, it wasn't a European plant. So we, you know, we don't study a lot of our own, but OSHA, uh, boy, that's a powerful plant for that lingering gunk. I really like OSHA and you can find OSHA syrups and OSHA blends in the marketplace that are, are, are made by very good companies, you know, that are, are, are very good. Um, and then think of maybe the mushrooms, right? So if you've been sick, maybe not a plant, but a mushroom could be really nice. And I like a lot of the blended products like the reishi, very good for the lungs, right? But also the immune system, chaga, cordyceps, you know, 
I think, you know, I think that for many of my patients who are post-viral or post a bad pneumonia, um, once we're sort of over that, I like to put them on the mushrooms and keep them on for like three months or so just to sort of get everything back nourished and up again, right? So uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the mushrooms as well um, in this post-viral kind of recovery. And then, and then all the things, if you're not sleeping well and, and things like that, all the things that you do. But you know, I will say that Kiara had been sick for so long, uh, acutely sick with multiple times she had to be admitted to the hospital. Um, when she started to get better, I said, you know, baby, one of the things that's gonna be hard is that you've gotta, you gotta remember what it feels like to be really well. You gotta remember what it feels like to have that vitality and that health. I said, because right now you've been sick for quite a while and now that's kind of what you're used to. And I need you to visualize who you are, that vitality. And you know, she told me, she said, mom, like that was really powerful for me visually because she said, you know, I just have been so scared because I couldn't breathe and I've been so sick and I and nobody could visit me when I was in the hospital. And it was just, everything was so hard. A little like PTSD, right? And so it's also that visualization and meditation on, oh yeah, my body remembers. My body knows how to, if not return to spiral forward to even a new and better place of health. But I think it's important to make sure that you have that because a lot of people who've had COVID have described almost what sounds like post-traumatic stress disorder. This feeling of, I was alone, nobody could visit me, I, I couldn't breathe and it took 15 minutes for people to put on their personal protective equipment and everything to even get in the room to see me. I had no human touch or contact that feeling was very real for many people. And that's what's different about COVID than like other, other seasons of flu and pneumonias and things like that, where family could come and visit. That's made it particularly hard for people because when people are sick or people who are dying, a lot of people have that sense of, I have had no closure. There was no funeral. I lost my mother, my father, I, and there's been no, closure i would encourage you to find whatever ways you can have closure for things rituals that's the intention of ritual the intention of ritual is to memorialize to to make sacred that space so that people then can have closure and move on but we've seen a lot of that I, we've had that personally with with patients um who've you know, my mother died in the nursing home and we've had no funeral because we couldn't have a gathering of more than, you know, three, you know, those kind of things. So think through those things too. And sometimes the ritual can include herbs, right? You know, we, we smudged Kiara's home. Um, we smudged it. Um, we used sage to sort of just clear out things. And then, and then, you know, we were sort of there for a little bit and then sweet grass to sort of bring back in sort of this positive and this good energy. And there was a way of ritualizing it because she'd been sick in the house, in the house and in the hospital, she'd been sick. We needed some way to sort of make her home feel like it was a sacred and healthy place to be. So ritual can also bring in our herbs. Remember smudging was done universally, even the word perfume, perfume through smoke. It was 
even the concept of perfume comes from the burning of plants because, because they've always been a powerful part of ritual and cleansing. So just, just another way to think about the plants. And, and so what you've been saying about the transformative power, right? That that's also the possibility here. A friend described this the other day as we're on a bridge to a new paradigm. And I, and I wondered if you could talk, so that clearly there are um, reasons that you've mentioned some around health systems and the food systems, that things have gotten as bad as they have in the United States and taking action to help create this, these healthier systems can also be a way of feeling more empowered. And so I wondered if you could talk some about the larger sort of like keeping our own self well, we've talked about, but our communities well and right. So that. you can't have healthy individuals without healthy families. You don't have healthy families without healthy communities and you don't have healthy communities without healthy food systems. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's just an ever expanding circle. I think it's also, instructive that many people don't realize like avian flu, chickens, industrialized way that we raise chickens, swine flu. I mean, these were some of our big pandemics that we had. The biggest of our pandemics were, were started in animals, often in horrible conditions um, from industrialized animal husbandry. So, you know, is it self-protection to encourage grass-fed or free-range or more plant-based? I think that it's important, you know, and, and I think Schweitzer, even if you, so you could look at it purely as a scientist saying we need our food systems to be cleaner because we're also creating reservoirs of infection, and then we're having to use lots of antibiotics to keep infection down in these environments. And we're seeing more and more antibiotic resistance. I wanna remind everybody, yes, this COVID has been terrible, but one person in the United States dies every 15 minutes from an antibiotic resistant infection. That's from the CDC. Every 15 minutes, somebody dies from an infection. We no longer can treat with an antibiotic. So, so we can take a purely scientific perspective, or you could think more like Albert Schweitzer, who said, until he extends the compassion of life to all things, man himself will not know peace. I mean, so, so part of this is this, this exploration of how do we fit within this ecosystem? How do we fit within the ecosystem and what are we doing to the ecosystem? We have always lived with germs. Germs have always been here. They're always going to be with us always are going to be with us. They germinated life for heaven's sakes. I mean, I'm more bacteria than I am human. So this notion that we're gonna just continue to kill germs our entire time that we exist on the planet, we're gonna keep coming up with new antibiotics. I'm not saying we're not going to do those things too, but it seems like such a silly way to think about it that we're just gonna keep coming up with new things for every time there's a new, I think somebody, has to step back and as a people and as scientists and as just, just I'm a citizen of the planet. We need to step back and sort of say, is our ecosystem healthy inside? And is my ecosystem healthy outside? And what can I personally do as an individual? One thing, you know, this is, this is the problem I do see with a lot of folks. It's like, 
well, we got to change everything. And if we can't change everything, well, then let's just not bother to change anything. And I'm like, oh, for heaven's sakes, you know, that's that perfect is the enemy of the good. It's what can I personally say in my own life is something I could do that would be better for my health and better for the planet's health. I don't have to do 50 things, but if every single person made a commitment to take one step towards a healthier environment, a healthier planet, a recognition that we're all citizens of this planet and we share this planet together, I think you could see dramatic change. The problem that I see is that there's also a lot of judgment you know, I may personally be into this one area, you know, and you might be interested in helping homeless individuals. And that may be your passion is homeless, but you don't eat organic. So the person over here is like, but you don't eat organic, you bad person. And this person's over here going, you do nothing to help the homeless. And I'm sitting here going, whoa, isn't it great that you're eating organic? And isn't it great we've got people helping the homeless people? I mean, so instead of judgment, I would really love to see us come together more as a community of people that have different interests and different passions based upon whatever we're here to do this life on this planet, this is what we're called to do. And we wanna do it with integrity. Um, but, but that's made me a little, you know, I see that in our community, Anne. I don't know about you, but I've seen it for many years. And as a woman, I'm just sort of like, wow, that just, you know, quit picking on your sister. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's like, and it's like in medicine, it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's like, you know, the scientists will say, this is how much you need. And then you'll have the government say, this is how much you need. And then you'll have one expert say, this is how much you need. And then everybody's like, well, she got it wrong or he got it wrong because that's not the right. And it's sort of like, wow, step back, step back and take a breath. And remember at the end of the day, when you lay your head down to go to sleep, you want to think that the things that you planted, the things that you planted were seeds of love and compassion and generosity of spirit because we reap what we sow. And, and so at the end of the day, be a little less angry. Righteous anger is healthy if, if you do something about it. But at the end of the day, remember the things that you want to plant. You want those to be seeds that you really want to see grow. So 50 years from now, the things that you planted, you're going to feel long after you're gone that you left something better than you found it. Well, and I love the idea of what you're planting. What I also hear is the judgment, but also the blame, uh, you know, that the schools need to do this to keep your child safe and, and coming back to what we can each do. Yeah. Well, and, and, and recognizing that, um, that actually most people are trying to do a good job given their experiences in life, given what they understand and what they know. And, um, and oftentimes I just think I'm so grateful, I'm so blessed, right? That I'm so blessed. I was loved. I was loved as a child, loved from my grandmothers particularly. Uh, I knew love and I understand what it is to receive it and to give it. Um, and so that puts me at a, it starts me out in the world in a really good way. And I, and, and I remember sometimes when people are really nasty to me, I think, hmm, I wonder, 
I wonder where that comes from, because under that nastiness is usually a lot of pain. And if you can see through to the pain, often you can be a lot more forgiving of the nastiness, truly. And I see a lot of that because I see people who are sick. So they just don't feel good already. So they're already kind of not feeling good. But plants are great analogies, Anne, for life. Yeah. You know, seeds, the seeds, the, the seed of an idea, that spark of inspiration, the things that we plant. Those of us who are gardeners, you know, we know, we know our plants are as only good as the soil that we make and bringing in the, you know, supporting that good mycorrhiza and the good bacteria and, you know, bringing in ladybugs, all the things that we do to make the ecosystem of our garden so healthy so that we don't have to spray pesticides and we don't, we don't get leaf burn. I mean, all the things we do in our garden, our life is like a garden. The metaphor of a garden is really the metaphor of human life and human existence. And that's, that's one of the gifts of these plants, of the many gifts. I, I don't have to take a plant to feel like I've been healed by one. I can look at the echinacea on the screen and I can feel, I can feel the beauty of that plant and, and feel more whole just from having that in my life. Thank you. It's about all I got, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you got four more minutes. Do you have any <laughs> last point that you want to make? <laughs> well, it's your call. And whatever you want to say, too, you have such wisdom yourself, my sweet. Um, no, I think you've, it's lovely. Is there any, uh, any last word about your hope for, I mean, it seems there's this hope of this time also thinking back to the key. Of course I'm hopeful. Of course I'm hopeful. You know, it's like when I think back of all my ancestors, especially the women in my line, I think of the thousands of generations that suffered and struggled and died so that I could be here, that I could have this life. And it seems like a tragedy for them to have given so much, for me not to be hopeful, for the thousand generations that may come beyond me. I want, I want to be strong for them. And I want to be strong and I want to honor all of those people who went beyond before me, right? It's like to live a life that's not filled with gratitude or hope. And, and trust me, this has been a challenging year for our family. This has been a challenging family to lose so many people in such a short time to be daughter, caretaker, pastor, hospice provider, sister. I mean, to do that and be there. It wasn't like somebody called us on the phone. It was being there with it. It was hard. And I am hopeful. And I'm joyful. And I believe that the young people that I see today this is going to be their world and they're deciding what it's going to look like. And I actually find many of them to be brilliant and to be beautiful and to be inspiring. So, so yes, I have a lot of hope. And what is the alternative? I mean, what is the alternative? That would be a depressing way to live your life. 
without any hope. Hope just means really that you believe when you look to the future, there's more good days than bad. That's what it is to be hopeful. And I look to the future and I believe that there will be more days than bad. Doesn't mean that there won't be bad days and we're not gonna still have lots of problems. But I believe there will be more good days than bad. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks to all the people who gave up any of their time today. I hope we gave you something that was um, useful or, you know, I always, I always just feel like if you heard one thing like that intrigued you or one thing you weren't sure about or one thing you didn't know or that maybe inspired you, then it was worth everybody's time coming together for this period. So. Thank you. And thank you, Anne, for the invitation. And thank you for the American Botanical Council and all the sponsors who brought this. I feel deeply humbled and honored to have been here today with you. Thank you. And we'll have the recording up on the Sustainable Herbs Program website in the next day or so. So thank you so much. Bye-bye. Do we just hit leave? I don't know. So there's a lot of comments in the chat that oh. you might want to read. Are um, there chat? Oh, oh dear. People may have had questions that we didn't know. No, ask. that's okay. We can. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Anna, do you want to stop the recording?